You are listening to the Parkview Church Podcast. To learn more about Parkview Church, including our gathering times in Palm Coast, Florida, visit us online at parkviewlife.com. We launched a series last week called On the Move because indeed as a church we are on the move. We're just weeks away from moving into our brand new auditorium which we're super excited about. And so just for a few weeks I just kind of wanted to share my heart about kind of where I see us needing to go and, and uh, really how I want to prepare us spiritually for the opportunities uh, that are right in front of us. And the one thing about moving is I guess we've all done that a time or two. Uh, I don't know about you. I've moved more times than I would care to reflect on. Um, and when I've moved, I don't know what your moves are like. I, there have been times when, like, I'm, uh, I'm short on time. I've moved when I'm short on boxes. I've moved when I was short on help. I've moved when I was short on motivation. Um, I, you know, moving, I, in fact, for years now, I've said moving is similar to a root canal and a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. I kind of put all three of those on the same plane. Like, I don't know which one's worse, but um, all of us have moved. But what we'll see in our text today is that Israel is on the move. In fact, uh, God is preparing them through Joshua for a mighty move. And if I were to entitle the sermon, it would simply be how to prepare for a mighty move of God as you're on the move. So uh, if you have your Bible, go to Joshua chapter number three, Joshua chapter number three. While you're turning there, let us kind of get some context for where we'll jump in. Uh, Moses, after uh, the 10 plagues in Egypt, Pharaoh lets the people go and Moses leads a couple million Jews out of Egyptian bondage. While they are led out of bondage, God has promise to his people that he would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, We know it most commonly as the promised land, Canaan. And so in Numbers chapter 13, Moses leads the people to outside of Canaan, outside the promised land, and to kind of uh, get the details, he sends some delegates in as spies to look out the land. He sends in 12 And uh, they come back after 40 days of spying. They come back and report to Moses that not only are the armies vast, but the men are giants. And 10 of the spies kind of kibosh the whole concept of uh, proclaiming God's promise and taking that land. There are only two men that uh, had an adverse report and uh, saw it differently. Joshua and Caleb said that, No, God's promised us this land. We can easily take it in his might, with his authority, and through his power. And, uh, but Moses listens to the larger of the ten uh, spies, and he determines that it's not time and they shouldn't go in. Uh, It's probably not likely for them to be successful. And so as a result of Moses' lack of faith and his disobedience to God's promise, the children of Israel end up wandering one year for every day those spies spent there. So they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Well, when Moses dies, the one of the two spies that had given the good report and said, we need to take the land, Joshua, he becomes Moses' immediate successor. And it takes Moses about a half a minute to be dead 
and Joshua the other half of that minute to decide we're going to go take the promised land. And so that's where we're going to pick up when Joshua begins to prepare the people to cross the Jordan and enter into Canaan. Joshua chapter number 3, and I'll begin reading in verse number 1 and read down through verse number 13. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, saying, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in it. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and anybody else with an ite. Before, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, And when the soles of the feet of the priests, bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Joshua said to the people of Israel, we're on the move. We're about to see God do a mighty move in our midst. And to me, as Joshua says to the people, we are on the move, in this text, there was one word that jumped out to me. Now, you might read it five, six, ten, twelve times yourself and get something different. But when I read through this text weeks ago, in preparing and thinking around this theme, there was a word that jumped out, and it just so happened. It was crazy, right? Like, there's no coincidences with God. We know that. So it was crazy to me that weeks after I kind of looked at this text about them as they were preparing to make this mighty move into Israel, this last week, I was in that, uh, the Bible recap plan that some of you have joined me on in reading through the Bible with Tara Lee Cobble. And um, it was the latter part of Exodus where Moses is kind of laying out the plan for the tabernacle. And right before the people are going to move into the tabernacle, Moses says to the Israelites before they're moving to the tabernacle, 
the same thing that Joshua would say to the Israelites before they're moving to the promised land. And what he said in, is found in verse number five. Joshua said, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves, he says there in verse number five, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So the, the, the word consecrate is what jumped off the page. And it just so happens that not only as they were preparing to move into the tabernacle, but again now as they're preparing to move into the promised land, God says the exact same thing to them as they're on the move. Consecrate yourself. So what does that mean? That's a little uh, deeper theological term. We don't really use the word consecrate in our daily language. I know the last time you used it, been a while since I've used it outside of the Bible. So what does it mean to consecrate? Well, a, a working definition is to set yourself apart for the sacred and prepare to encounter God. To consecrate means to set yourself apart for the sacred and be prepared to encounter God. So I just want to kind of help us think through what it means as followers of Christ who are on the move. As a church that's on the move, what does it look like to be consecrated? Well, number one, make sure that you start by consecrating yourself. There are a number of things to be consecrated, but we must start with consecrating ourselves. Uh, the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 11 in verse 44, for I, the Lord, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 7 says consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God there's more than one occasion in the Bible where as followers of God we are encouraged to consecrate ourselves now because I'm not overly familiar with that thought and I don't dwell on the word consecration very often but when it jumped off the page at me and we see that it was said both when they went to the tabernacle and into the promised land and I, I wanted to know well what what's it look like to be consecrated or here's a thought what would be the key to consecration what what like would be the key to us being set apart for the sacred and prepared to encounter the power of God I personally believe a key to being consecrated is the word shema. Shema. A staggering 1,159 times that word is used in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word was shema. I believe a key to being consecrated is to hear the voice of God. Shema. To hear the voice of God. Now, the, many places, but one, Deuteronomy chapter number six, verses four through seven. Verse four, it says, Hear, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these are the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He says, hear, O Israel. Now, here's what's interesting. Shema is translated into the English language, hear. 
But in the English language, to hear is really not much more than a passive mental activity where sound waves engage your eardrums. Let me say that again. In the Western culture and the English language, to hear is really not much more than a mental passive activity and some sort of engaging sound waves with our eardrums. But in the Hebrew context, to hear or shema was not a mental activity. It was much more aligned with a physical activity, which meant that it wasn't sufficient just to hear, but to really hear would mean that we would understand we would obey and we would seek to live under that authority. So we wouldn't just hear, but we would act upon what we're hearing. That's what the Hebrew word had as its depth of its meaning. Which, by the way, if you've ever parented, you kind of understand the word shema because you actually expect your kids to shema. Okay? In other words, when you say something to them, you are not just looking for them to undergo a passive mental activity. You're not just wanting sound waves to reverberate in their eardrum. You're looking for more than just them to hear. In fact, if they don't let that hearing produce activity in their life you will let them hear again and the next time that you let them hear you'll be a little more energized and elevated and passionate and you will say to them again did you hear what I just said and when you say that to them you're not just looking for them to engage in a mental passive activity you're looking for them to do. So, for example, you say to Junior, Junior, I want you to take out the trash. Now, this is going to take somewhere in the vicinity of five minutes. Out of the 10,000 minutes that they're going to have this week, so Junior's like, oh, why do I got to take it? Why is it my turn? Why do I always have to take out the trash? All my parents do is put a roof over my head and food on my stomach and clothes on my back and take me on vacations and t- uh, pay for my hobbies. And I can't believe I got to take out the trash for five minutes. And so they, 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 they take out the trash and you, you catch them in the act of taking the trash out. And here's the problem. They got one bag in their hand, and there's 19 trash cans in the house. So you're like, hey, listen, when I said take out the trash, I meant all the trash. Well, you know, and then it's a huff and a puff, and, a, you know, then, they, you know, they storm up the steps, kick the dog, step, step on the cat's tail, yell at their siblings, gather up the trash cans, leave wrappers on the floor, going down the steps, go out to the garage, throw the bag into the trash can, grab the back of the, the, the container, run it down the driveway, put it down at the end of the driveway, and, and, and mumble under their breath the whole way. Did they hear what you said? Yeah. Did they obey? I guess technically they took the trash out. 
But the Bible says not just that children are to obey their parents and the Lord for this is right, but they are to honor their father and mother in the Lord, which will lengthen their days on the earth. They might have heard and they might have obeyed, but they didn't honor. And Shema is hear the word of God, obey the word of God, and honor the Lord in our obedience. So as adults, we must ask ourselves, do we hear the Lord? Do we shema the word of God? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse number 19, if you are willing and obedient, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That are you willing to yoke up with the will of God and the word of God? Because if you're willing to yoke up with the will of God and the word of God, you will hear what he has to say, and then as a result of hearing to the degree of the Hebrew context, Shema, then you will eat the good of the land. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. You've got to hear the word, but then act upon it, and faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, here's the thing. Um, we have to be careful not just to hear the word and let it go in one ear and out the other without committing ourselves of what it requires us to do. Because not obeying the word of God is worse than fruitless because actually what it'll do is over time, if we don't act upon the word of God and all we're doing is hearing, then our hearing will get dulled. Happens all the time in the church. People hear it and don't act on it. And then they hear it and they hear it and they hear it and the more they hear it, the less they hear it. Because we're not acting on it. We're not obeying it. We're not living under its authority. We're not engaging in it. There's not an activity or a lifestyle that lines up with it, so our hearing gets dulled when we don't act on what we hear. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 in verse number 15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, he wasn't just saying, let the, the, let the sound waves reverberate. If you got ears to hear, hear it, and do something about it. What did James say? James chapter 1 and verse number 22. But be doers of the word and not, what? Hearers only, deceiving yourself. So don't just hear it, but go out and be a doer. You see, when we approach God and his word, it isn't simply about an academic study so we can recite truth. But it's about having our lives changed and transformed. If my life isn't changing because of his words, then I haven't learned anything. And by the biblical definition, I haven't heard. The action of our obedience is the only sure measure of successful obedience. The action of our obedience is the only sure measure of successful learning. Shema. Not just hear it, but do something about it. Not long ago, I dropped my wife off to do some shopping thankfully I had some errands I needed to run that she wanted me to run so I didn't have to shop with her that was a blessing 
And so I dropped her off. She was going to shop. I was going to go do my thing, and then I'd be back, and I'd kind of join her at the end. And she was actually doing some furniture shopping. So I get back, and I don't know what it's like for you when you try to find your wife in a store. I swear she's hiding on purpose. I, well, we, were, we were at Home Goods this week. I lapped that store three times. I, I think she was ducking aisles. I just couldn't find her. So anyway, we're in this massive furniture store, and I'm looking for her. I, I can't find her. I'm, I mean, I was in there for minutes um, <laughs> and frustrated already. And um, so I found her, and I'm like, um, hey, there you are. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making good progress. I'm like, well, listen, I got dinner figured out. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I got dinner figured out. She said, what are you talking about? I said, didn't you hear it over the loud system, over the speaker? Said, You've been in here for hours. I, certainly, I've only been in here for a few minutes. And I already heard it. I know where we're going to dinner. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, babe, come on. They just said if you spend over $3,000 that they buy dinner at Waffle House for you tonight. I said, babe, I said, we're eating at Waffle House. She said, you're crazy. I said, no. I said, seriously, we're eating dinner at Waffle House because I know you're fixing to spend past that. So sure enough, a little while later, we go up to the desk to check out, and they check us out. And um, I waited, and I waited for this moment. I've been, I'm excited about it. And I've been waiting and waiting, and nobody says anything. They're not even acknowledging that they just announced over the speaker system that if you spend over three grand, you get a free dinner at Waffle House. So I waited like the very end, just waiting to see what they were going to say, and nothing. So I was kind of disappointed, but I thought, I'll take care of this. So I said to the, the lady behind the counter, I said, ma'am, I said, now listen, I said, we want to take you up on that free offer I had over the, the speaker system. I said, we want our free dinner at Waffle House. So I'm, I didn't know whether it would be like a gift card or a certificate or whatever. So she's like, okay, no problem. She hits the button, the cash drawer pops open, she grabs a $20 bill out of it, and she hands me a $20 bill. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, but I'll take it. So, so I take the $20 bill fresh out of the cash register. Now here's what's cool. We happen to have a 22-year-old young lady from our young adult ministry with us. So I said to her, I said, hey, listen, we're going to the Waffle House. When I said that to her, she looked at me like I had three heads. I said, are you not as excited as I am? And I cannot believe what she said next. I, I utterly cannot believe that this happened in America at the age of 22. She said to me, I've never eaten at the Waffle House. I thought... What a deprived life you have lived up to this point. I said, you've not ever eaten in the Waffle House. I said, problem solved. I said, I got 20 bucks. We got in the car. It wasn't even dinner time. I punched in the GPS where the closest Waffle House was. You will not believe it. It was less than a mile away. So we leave the furniture store. We go straight to the Waffle House. We sat down, and for $8.99, you get the all-star breakfast, covered, double smothered, over easy, city ham, a waffle, the whole nine yards. And I, I'm grinning from ear to ear. She's, she's still not sure what to think about this whole activity. My wife, she knows me. We eat there regularly. It's not a problem for us. We're, we're not fancy folk. We eat the Waffle House when we're going out, especially when they give you a $20 bill out of the cash register. So here's the deal. I heard it on the speaker system. 
But it's another thing to wait till we're done, to make sure that it's given, to punch it in the GPS, to go straight there and not pass go or delay your time and sit down immediately and obey for the glory of God. That's what, you're, that's what it means to Shema. It's not just here, but it's to, to do all of that, to, to act upon it. Now, when we, when we hear God's word and we act upon it, now we're set apart for the sacred. Now we're prepared to encounter God. Because if we tune him out, or we pretend like we didn't hear, or we pretend that's for somebody else, you're not set apart for the sacred. You're not preparing to encounter God in a powerful way. So consecrate yourself. We must consecrate ourselves. That's where it starts. Secondly, make sure you consecrate a day, of, a day for worship. Make sure you consecrate a day for worship. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says, observe the Sabbath day. Which, by the way, I guess technically you're technically obeying a little bit more than tomorrow's crowd because the sabbath is saturday and you're in church on saturday now they would refute that with they worship on sunday because that's the day jesus rose from the dead but if you want to stick with old testament you could you could be a little up on them perhaps so observe observe the sabbath day to keep it what holy the day of worship is different than every other day it's, 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 a, it's holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you'll labor. Anybody work hard this week? Six days you'll labor, and on the seventh you'll rest. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now what I love in that the Old Testament commands, the New Testament clarifies Mark chapter 2 and verse 27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God didn't have the Sabbath day make you to fill that so you could be the filler. Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and create you because I need somebody over there. No, he created you and then he established the Sabbath. And he didn't make you for the Sabbath he made the Sabbath for you. He made the Sabbath for me. Now think about this every time. I've been, I've been coming here for, since 1997. And I thought about it. I, I guess I've probably gathered to worship in this building or one of the other buildings previous some 4,000 times. Multiple services, those years, some 4,000 times I've gathered to worship. And you know what I thought about? I've never one time left feeling worse than when I came in. Never one time left feeling worse. I always left feeling better. I thought, why is that? And it just reminded me that this day is holy to set it aside, to consecrate the day that the Lord has made for us. I thought about the fellowship that I enjoy. Man, that's one of, the, one of the highlights for me. I'm a people person, so I just love the fellowship. And it's so amazing because, you know, all different kinds of people, all different kinds of experiences. I mean, we, we are one, one eclectic group. But I, I just love the fellowship with, with who, whatever personality. 
there are people in our church that are super extroverted i was talking to one couple just a few weeks ago and i said to the the wife is a major extrovert and so her husband was standing there they were laughing and laughing about her being so extroverted and i said to him i said like does she wake up like this and he said pastor she starts talking before she wakes up (laughs) and i would never never tell you who it is but her initials are nadine sisson and so um but nadine is the funniest person i every sunday morning i look for nadine because she's just full of life she's just full of joy she's an extrovert's extrovert but i'll tell you what it's not just extroverts that encourage me some people are quiet and but i'll tell you this even though they're quiet they'll come to me with the most sincere encouragement sometimes people don't say a whole lot but when they say it is sincere people encourage me by being supportive i mean you know you can actually support somebody by not even saying anything but just by showing up i mean do you realize like if there was only two people here right now i wouldn't feel real supported but you've set aside this day to come and worship the lord and you're supporting what's going on you're fellowshipping you're and just the fellowship is i love it i not only love the fellowship but on the sacred holy day that's set apart i love the worship Man, I, I, and you know this about me, I can't sing at all. But I love to sing. I love to participate in our worship. And by the way, if you're wondering, like, what, what's important to me when it comes to worship? I'll tell you, there's only four things really that matter to me. One, that our worship honors God. That the music we sing from this platform honors God. Secondly, that it's theologically accurate. Third, that it's got some life. And fourth, that it draws as many people as possible. So I want to do music that honors God. I want to do music that's theologically accurate. I want to do music that's alive. And I want to do music that attracts the most amount of people to hear the gospel. And I feel like every time I walk in these doors, I don't pick the songs. I don't direct the songs. I don't say, hey, need to do this one. Hey, this, you know. But I just come like you with a heart excited on that day that's been set apart to worship the Lord. I enjoy the fellowship. I enjoy the worship. I enjoy the word. I do. Now I get it. It's a little different. You're like, how do you enjoy the word? Because you're like, like you're not sitting down. And and I get it. Like on weekends off, and I get to hear preaching. I love it. But I also I got to tell you, like I love the word just as much when I'm sharing it as when I'm listening to it. And in fact, you know, like I enjoy the preparation part. I really do. I, I I've been excited all week to talk about consecration. I, I've been excited about the text. For, for weeks looking forward to just just sharing it and and i and i love to share god's word and i i try and make it to where it's practical it's understandable it's engaging and, and by the way like i don't want you getting bored when we when we're teaching or preaching the word of god you say well how do you know if 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 i'm getting bored because i get bored if i get bored at my own sermon i think you're getting bored so i change it up like well i'm getting bored right now i'm about ready to fall asleep so i just change it up right I, but i love preaching the word i love teaching the word and you know what makes this place so amazing you guys love the preaching of god's word it's not hard to preach here i tell people all the time you can't preach at parkview you can't preach anywhere this isn't this is nothing uh, this isn't anything about me our people just love preaching like that's how you preach the word of god in to, in a context like that it's easy so to me when i think not just about shema and hearing myself and obeying and consecrating myself but i want to consecrate a day 
Do I just set apart, I'm going to go to the house, I'm going to fellowship, I'm going to worship, and we're going to get in the Word together. And that's what the, what the Lord said to Moses was, hey, let's make sure we make this day holy. Number three, make sure your giving is consecrated. Not just yourself and the day that's holy, but make sure your giving is consecrated. Now, this is kind of funny, but I think you'll appreciate the humor of it. Exodus chapter 29, verses 26 through 28. If you have your Bible, second book of the Bible, Exodus 29, 26 through 28, but the words will be on the screen as well. Now, listen to this offering. It says, you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering. Now, I'm just thankful that we take the offering different in the New Testament. Okay? But remember, back then, livestock was loot and cattle was currency. Okay? So they took up the the offering a little bit different. So it says, you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination, from what was Aaron's and his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. So he very clearly says, consecrate your contribution. Now, as I was thinking about people who contribute or make a contribution, I personally believe that there are six different types of givers. And I'll just kind of walk you through. And you're on this spectrum. You just have to determine where you're at. And then you have to think about is the Lord leading me to take a step beyond where I'm currently at in my life? So the six types of givers are you have the non-giver, you have the um, occasional giver, you have the frequent giver, you have the regular giver, you have the generous giver, and then you have the very generous giver. So it goes all the way from the non-giver to the very generous giver. Interestingly, I just heard the other day that 89% of Americans that have the capacity to give very generously don't. Only 11 people, 11% of people with the capacity to give very generously actually give very generously. I thought it was interesting. That was a challenge to me but it starts with a non-giver like I said then the occasional then the uh, frequent then the regular generous and very generous somewhere on this spectrum you and I are every one of us are on here somewhere wherever you are as you consider setting your contribution or setting your giving apart to make it sacred so that the power of God can meet that and transform lives as a result of what you and I give. Now, the one type of giver that's actually the hardest to move from one spot to the next, the hardest move to make is actually the first one. The hardest move to get off of 
is being a non-giver. The only way to get off of being a non-giver is for your discipleship to break your, cons- your consumption assumption. The only way to no longer be a non-giver is for your discipleship to break your consumption assumption. Say, Pastor, what's a consumption assumption? It's where you assume that everything you have is yours to consume. You have a consumption assumption. You just assume it's all yours and you get to do whatever you want with it. Until your discipleship breaks that consumption assumption, you'll always be a non-giver. But once your, once your discipleship grows you to the point to where you see that it's not only important for your, yourself to be consecrated and your day to be consecrated, but also for your giving to be consecrated. And I believe as we bring those things together, what happens is we've set apart ourselves for the sacred and we're prepared to encounter the power of God in a profound and beautiful way. And that's why I long for us to experience as a church, as we're on the move into our new location, that we would set ourselves apart and we would be prepared to encounter the power of God. Have you ever been somewhere that's so beautiful it just takes your breath away? Have you ever seen something just so beautiful that you're like, wow. I've been to some beautiful places. That's off the top of my head, a couple of them. Like, I was blown away by the beauty of Banff, Canada. I, I just was, I wasn't expecting it. Went there, somebody gave us a timeshare week, and we went, and oh man, it's beautiful. A friend of mine in the church is a, can sail catamarans, and he invited my wife and I to join him and his wife and another couple from our church one time, and we, for a week, we sailed the Exuma Islands on a catamaran. I just, breathtaking but still my favorite breathtaking place to see the glory of God is the Grand Canyon in fact this week I I heard about something that's got my interest thinking about it that's why I'm talking about it because my my interest got peaked see for about a decade now I've had a desire that in a single day I'd like to hike from the south rim to the north rim they say don't do it and that's kind of why I want to so it's like 23 miles and you got to start with a headlamp at dark and hopefully get out the other side before dark again you do it in November or May but I remember the first time I went to the Grand Canyon I wasn't in charge of the trip and we were scheduled to be there for three days and I thought I'm going to get there. I'm going to see a hole in the ground and I'm going to have to look at it for three days. What is there to do with a hole in the ground for three days? Because I had been, and forgive me if you disagree with me, I had been to Niagara Falls before that. And I went to Niagara Falls with all these grand expectations. And after I was there for about 15 minutes, I'm like, yep, that's water. It goes over the end and that's what it does. And if I look back up again, it'll do the same thing. I look back up and do the same thing. And I mean, it's pretty, it's really pretty. But after about 15 minutes, I'm like, Okay, I guess that's all it does. It just, water goes over the edge. So I thought, we're like three days at the Grand Canyon. I'm like this, I'm I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking Niagara. That's all I had to go by. 
well, we got to the Grand Canyon and it took my breath away and so I've been back multiple times one time I had the privilege of hiking the Bright Angel Trail down to Plateau Point it's over 12 miles down and back over 3,100 feet of elevation change and what was interesting was when you got down hours of hiking all the way down the plateau point the river at the bottom you could barely barely see it like it was a thread and I had just hiked 3200 feet down and you still couldn't but see it looked like just a thread down there while you know it's a mighty rushing river and countless times on the way down I would just turn around and I'd look back up and the beauty of it and the vastness of it and, I, and, and then when you stood out there on plateau point it just I mean, I got chills just looking at the splendor. And, 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 I, and you, ever, you ever go someplace beautiful, take a picture of it, and try and show people it, and it just doesn't even, like, compare? I got pictures. I got video. I'm telling a story. I'm like, you don't understand. If you've not been down to Plateau Point, that is amazing because you just get to see God in a profound way. And I think that's what it's like to be consecrated and set apart. I'm just going to do something a little different. I'm going to set myself apart. Myself, my day of worship, my giving. It's for the sacred. And I'm going to prepare to meet God. And so as we go on the move, let us be consecrated. Set ourselves apart for the sacred and prepare to encounter the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I wonder how many times you had to raise your voice because I heard, but I wasn't doing anything. There was no shema on my part. Help us to be a people who hear, act, and glorify. Set apart for the sacred. Prepared to encounter the power of God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder, would you be willing to be consecrated? Would you be willing to set yourself, to set that day of worship, and to set that contribution to him. Set apart for the sacred, preparing to encounter the powerful person of God, to see him in his glory, in his beauty, in his splendor, being in awe of who he is because we have consecrated ourselves to him. If you are willing to surrender to the sacred just in your heart right now you can say yes Lord that, that's my heart that's my longing myself my day of worship my giving set apart to you and you alone God we're on the move we, we're about to just really lay claim to the promises that you have blessed us with we're excited about crossing over into this new uh, season of ministry for our entire church family 
these are days that we've we've dreamt about we, sometimes it felt like we've wandered maybe a little longer than we wanted to uh, waiting for this day to arrive but father we thank you for your faithfulness um, for your goodness but help us lord to go into this new era and this new opportunity consecrated to you set apart for the sacred preparing to encounter your power in your name we pray and all God's people said, amen.